engineer, camp director, board game designer, longtime youth pastor. This is episode nine of Mike McCurry Live with Pastor Jim Crone. We're going to throw you right into the middle of this thing with some behind the scenes audio after the live stream ended. Brother Crone is talking for just a minute about the crazy minimum wage increase, but more specifically about the need for the gospel that New York State has. Listen in. With a stroke of a pen, he didn't even get it passed through the, through the legislature. Not that he'd have a problem getting it passed now, but to back back in the you know a couple of years ago, he got it. He just with a stroke of a pen found a loophole that allowed him to do it, and it just was a in a way it's a it's a wealth redistribution sure thing. Now, it, it, just just so you know, it, it it the program still records and all that. And so, one question I really I really wanted to ask: if you could just give me a minute snippet on why people should not abandon New York, and bigger picture, why people should not abandon things that are precious things that have gone a wrong way. Um, give, give us your thoughts on that. Okay, so people are surprised by what's happened in New York, and all the only people that are surprised are the people that haven't been paying attention for the the political climate in New York has been leaning in that direction for many, many years. And the government in New York is set up very much like our U.S. government, where there is an assembly and then there is a Senate. The assembly is like the House and the Senate is like our Senate. There's fewer senators from a broader region and um, the base kind of based on on county. Whatever. I don't know exactly how they're based, but for the longest time, um, the Senate had because New York State pumps out so many representatives. The Senate in New York has been the blocking of the blocking of all the vastly liberal uh, agenda. And um, Andrew Cuomo make his his dad Mario was our governor back in the '90s and and earlier before that, and he was very liberal. But but his son makes me pine for the dad. Hmm. Really. That's how liberal this guy is. And all of these bills that are being passed now have always been had been passed every year in the assembly. Every year in the assembly, they get passed. And then they get to the Senate and it was blocked. And we actually support a a lobbyist, Christian lobbyist group, New Yorkers for Constitutional Constitutional Freedoms, that have been working with Senate, you know, to help put a Christian agenda through in New York and to help block some of these bills. And they've been very successful doing that. Many people have been successful doing that and right on through. So these bills that have gotten passed recently, every year they got passed in the assembly, didn't make it through the Senate for maybe a decade. I mean, literally for maybe a decade. And then, and then what happened was some independent ish Democrats that were caucusing with the Republicans, um, I don't know what happened where they got them to switch back and some seats flipped. And so now the Senate's no longer a roadblock. And now all of these things are getting passed. Every pastor in New York that I have talked about, talked to, I shouldn't say that. That's an exaggeration. A number of pastors in New York, that's a better way of saying it, have talked to me over the, the years about how people are leaving New York. Christians are leaving New York. You can go down south. I've had it in my own church. You go down south and, you know, you can, you got lower taxes. You've got a more conservative environment, a more Christian environment. You can do open carry. That's really important to some people, really important to some people. Uh, and, and so why wouldn't we move there? Why wouldn't we all move there? 
And the reason why we wouldn't move there, well, first off, that's a selfish thing to do. New York's a mission field. Uh, if you're glad that there was a church up here that led you to Christ, what about all the rest of the people up here? Don't you want to see them get led to Christ or do you not care about them? But then, and I'm not saying that God can never move anybody out. I, don't, I guess I'm coming across pretty strong because I am passionate about this. But so I don't want to come across as if everyone who ever leaves New York is out of God's will. But, but a lot of the answers I get are selfish. There's nicer weather. Well, okay, sure. Nicer weather. But aren't you glad there's a church up here that led you to the Lord? Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think that these pastors that I've talked about, talked to in the last decade, that have talked about so frustrated Christians moving down south, had an impact on this extra Senate seats we lost, and it had an impact on the roadblock in the Senate being being killed. And it's it's like if we abandon this this area, what's going to happen to this area? The people here aren't going to get saved. And and I'll say this: I don't know of any Southerners that are moving up here to lead us heathens to the Lord. I don't know of any of them. I know of a pastor. I won't mention his name. He had he has offered southern preachers and people that don't have a church in the south a church up here bought building he could they could move in start a church bought building they're looking to start a church and they and and they refused to come up he, she shared this with me hmm. refused to come up here because they don't want to live up in yankee territory and no they're not come, what if you live in tennessee or kentucky you'll send they'll send missionaries to to rwanda they'll send missionaries to Africa, but they won't send missionaries to New York. And, and so if the, if the South isn't going to come up North to lead us to Christ, lead the Northerners to Christ, it leaves, it's up to us. Right. And I think the, the political changes up here are part of that as well. I think that there it's, it's because too many Christians have left. Hmm. Great. Well, then that's, well, yeah, that's that's it's huge, and, and it's it's like a sea change where if if people don't start waking up to it, it should, it starts with one or two. Well, and so let me just say this: if the idea of Christians is to come out of all of the, um, let's say more liberal states mm-hmm. or borderline states. And or the northern, honestly, the northeast, the entire northeast. We're going to abandon the entire northeast. We're going to move to warmer climes, and and kinder political climates somewhere else. That will be short term, because exactly what happened in New York will eventually happen right. on the countrywide basis. The more states we just decide that we're never going to have a senator that's going to oppose what is basically infanticide. Um, the more that happens, eventually what's, what's going to happen is you're going to, you're going to see the entire country flip that way. And then the federal laws will pass that will, because we already live in a, we already live in an Uber federal's government where the federal government has so much control over the States. Mm-hmm. And then the laws will be passed that will prohibit and will take away the freedoms of the state that you live in. Uh, the, the answer is not retreating. If the answer was retreating, we wouldn't send missionaries around the world. Right. The answer is advancing, and we need to take back New York. Right. And uh, yeah. take a generation. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, America, it's the number one, you know, missionary sending country and all that, sending them all over the world. So maybe Texas needs to become the number one mission sending state and send them, you know, back up, you know, to New York and all these. But, you know, Texas, it's red. I have, but, one, interesting story. I have one interesting story about sure. that. A, so the way it's related to me, and this is I, this is not written down anywhere. This is just, I guess, this is kind of um, urban legend or not urban legend. Or oral history. Oral history. There you go. That's it. Oral history is that a southern preacher moved up to the Rochester area and started First Bible Baptist Church on the other side of the city. Well, First Bible Baptist Church is probably not going to send kids to our camp. Mm-hmm. It's a very large church. I'm not going to send kids to our camp because, um, you know, they maybe have a, a little bit different philosophy than us. But they didn't used to. And they started my church. They didn't just start my church. There's probably, if I if I worked hard thinking about it, there's probably eight other churches in the Rochester area that were mm-hmm. started from people who left or moved out of first bible and that all happened because one preacher came up here now if that preacher doesn't come up here it's not a stretch to say that you know all of these churches that are in the rochester area they don't exist right and and that's the that you know so that's the that's the difference of one person made in a generation they didn't he didn't just impact uh that guy who came up didn't just impact first bible that it's it's the it's the the other eight ten churches in the area that all got started at first bible all because he came up great hmm. well i think we might need to have you on at some point in the future to talk more about that because that's that's huge um and that really gets down to the nuts and bolts of why we do ministry why we serve god that's the end of the behind the scenes segment now here comes the normal interview you're used to in maybe 50 or 100 words, uh, just give us a short bio of who you are and what you do. Uh, senior pastor at Southeast Bible Baptist Church. Do a bunch of other ministries, obviously, involved in running Common Ground Baptist Camp, Common Ground Baptist Institute. Um, have some businesses on the side that I've used, like Paul, to uh, make tents to help support the ministry. like to get out of some of them right now because they've become a distraction. Um done a bunch of other things, wrote some books, um, designed some board games, just in general, uh, have been enjoying life. Amen. Amen. Now, what is your background? Because you're, you don't, you weren't, didn't start in ministry straight out of college. Where did you, uh, how, how did that evolution, I guess, I, I think I said yesterday, uh, or the other day talking to someone, origin story, comic book number one, Jim Crone, where do we go? Uh, a raised Catholic, um, managed to get out of going to uh, Catholic church after a while. I had kind of a, a I look back at my time there, I, I kind of have a, had a sincere respect for God. I remember like when I was a kid, like kneeling and down by a coffee table and having to say the Our Father and the Hail Mary three times perfectly. And like if I didn't say them three times perfectly, having to start over, just kind of that misconception that kids get. Or, you know, you know you're, you're searching, you don't know, or anything like that. Never really enjoyed going to the Catholic Church. Managed to get out of it because my younger brother threw a fit and didn't want to go. And because he I meant I didn't have to go because he got his way. And so I, I was this um, 
kind of, I guess I would call it a, a, almost normal Catholic. Someone who would have said, I'm Catholic, shut up, leave me alone. But I never went to church. Um, and then I started to, you know, this girl that I had um, uh, really loved for a long time. We had been best, quote unquote, best friends in uh, high school. Uh, we, um, I went away to engineering college and she joined me there. When I started to see her, she actually, when I went away to engineering college, my wife will love that I tell her this story. Um, she realized what was slipping through her fingers and uh, she came to her senses and dumped the guy that she was with. And when I came back, uh, she uh, started, we started to see each other. She went to engineering college with me and that was great because she was saved. She wouldn't have been able to been able to articulate it very well as a, uh, or is, is, or was, was at the time, I guess we'll go. It was, um, a Baptist missionary to South Africa. And she had come home on furlough when my wife was six and conned her way, figured out a way to give a presentation about South Africa in the public school and asked. So if you can imagine, and she just gave the gospel to the entire public schools, what she did. And uh, drive, this is in the 70s, obviously, so a long time ago, driving my uh, future wife home, she led her to the Lord. But then she went wow. back to South Africa, right? And so who's discipling her? Nobody. And so she didn't really grow. If she had grown, she would have known that she should have nothing to do with me. And then, um, but she didn't, you know. So we we're seeing each other. And when we were at college, she got invited to a Baptist church, just kind of one simple little invite just hey my family going to church on you know i see you're different or whatever come on out with my family on a, on a wednesday night and so her, her first baptist church service she went to was a wednesday night and um she just it just rang true to her, her. like this is her her saved soul just kind of sprang at that and uh, so when i was working at a co-op at the time when i would come back on the weekends or whatever she would drag me to church and so it was through that church that I ended up getting saved. So I graduate saved and excited, but just the babiest of baby Christians that you can imagine. Sure. And then um, when I graduate, I ended up here at Southeast. I get on fire for the Lord, and um, and I started to work. I actually became the youth director a year after coming to Southeast, which means I was the youth director uh, two years and three months after I got saved. Which probably is not the path most people should go on. Uh, I started leading people to Christ. <laughs> no, I was going to say, how many youth directors have you have you led, have you have you had come on two years after salvation? Not many, I would assume. That was really strange. I was just <laughs> I was I was on fire, and so and you know I, I graduated with an engineering degree. I was working at Xerox, so perhaps um, maybe. I presented better than I was, and people didn't realize the chuck. <laughs> but uh, but uh, was uh, you through the '90s really desired a call? Um, but God, I had a lot of catching up to do. Needed to stay in the oven, as it were. And uh, God did not call me until '99, and I had been working on my my institute degree all that time, and so I came on full time staff as the assistant pastor in 2002. And then became the uh, senior pastor four years ago. Well, awesome! So, a lot, of, a lot of backstory to unpack there. But you were you were at Xerox working with after your engineering degree. How long were you, were you there? 
12 years from 1990 okay. to 2000. Okay. And, and so you, and you were there long enough to, what was that? I'm sorry. I was, I, I didn't know if you wanted backstory on Xerox sure. or, or like, go, yeah, that. Was, absolutely. go ahead. My degree, my degree was electrical engineering, but I ended up in the manufacturing field building more than I kind of got on their fast track program there. They literally called it the fast track program. I was being promoted. It was going really well. I enjoyed it. They sent me away to get my master's degree at Clarkson. I ended up picking that up in mass in engineering and manufacturing management. And then, uh, I, like I said, I really enjoyed that for a while. Actually, the odd thing is when it was in 94 that God sent me to go to this program, basically five weeks a year for five years where I was going to get my master's degree for free, basically. Hmm. There's a lot of reasons he did that. I led people to Christ there. Uh, it was a good, it was a good recovery period for me. I didn't realize I had pushed myself kind of, the, I was literally exhausted. Um, but at the time when I went into that, I, uh, I thought that there's no way God's going to send me engineering if he's going to call me into the ministry and sure. I had desired to call in the ministry and when I was praying about it and God led me to do that. I actually cried because I thought that meant I was never going to get called in the ministry because it didn't mm-hmm. make any sense to me, but God's time scale is way different than our time scale. Sure. And he, I needed that time in the oven. And so, uh, five years later, jokes on me, I finished, I have my master's degree and then God calls me like the, the, I ended up graduating with my master's degree in Very engineering cool. and manufacturing. Very cool. And so God just kind of used that as a incubation time for you to kind of prepare you. I'm sure things you learned and all of that are, have been useful to you uh, up to this point. Now you 12 years there and, and you've been the senior pastor, forgive me for how long now? So, I took over June and says beers. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. It came through broken one more time. Sure. I took over in June of two. And so this June will be five years, five years, five years. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And so for some reason, I don't know why I feel like it, it in the time that I've, the short time that I've known you, I've actually been working for Pastor Grimaldi for a pro coming up on five years. And so that that's crazy that that it, it, it mirrors it mirrors it like that um, with the what you've done with the camp. Now, how long have you been the director or running Common Ground Baptist Camp? We started the winter camp in uh, ninety four, December of ninety four, which was just I just wanted you know, I thought well, I enjoyed summer camp. I was going to Mount Salem at the time. And I enjoyed summer camp, but I wanted to do a winter camp, something that was closer mm-hmm. and uh, really enjoyed it. And then people were just begging us at that point, you should start a summer camp up here. And I was resisting it and resisting it because, you know, I was happy what, what I was doing and I was working at Xerox as well. Um, but when it got to about, it was uh, 2000 that I finally kind of caved in. And I think that was the timing of the Lord that we actually started our summer camp with one camp week. Very cool. So since about two, uh, 2000. Wow. Very cool. Now, 2000 uh, was the first week. Yes. Okay. 
very cool. Um, and I take, take a time out for saying it. If there's the answer is no, then don't worry about it. Kind of a technical thing. The the um, uh, connection is just a little bit froggy on us. I don't know if um, your voice is getting choppy and you're you're breaking up video. The video is fine as long as the audio is okay. Um, is there anything that you could possibly that you think of that would make that a little better? Just a little housekeeping for those that are watching. It's all right. Um, if not, the, if the answer is no, we'll just keep going on. It's okay. Well, we couldn't get the laptop going, so sure. no, I don't think. Okay, don't don't is, worry about this it. This will back up. No, it, it's all right. If if I need to ask for clarification, it's just one or two words here or there. So don't worry about it. Um, so we we're talking about gotcha. since '94 for the winter camp, 2000, and the major vast majority of that time, not as a senior pastor. How did you? I mean, it's grown into something that it probably wasn't your the first two, three, five years, but I mean, maybe it was pretty big from the very beginning, but how did that go? Not as a senior pastor and not to get too much in, into the dynamic of your relationship with the, the previous pastor, whoever you worked for at the time, but how did that go starting a camp, which is a big undertaking as a youth pastor? Well, camp. So that, that changes the dynamics of it. If I were to have gone to them and said, we need to buy a campground to start a camp, then perhaps it would have been um, a harder road. You know, I start with one week. Sure. And then the next year I do a week. And then the next year uh, we've outgrown that campground a little bit. So we add another teen week and we add another. And when you add our first junior week and it just kind of grew from there. Um, I always kind of felt like, I could do more than just be the youth pastor. And so I was always looking for extra things to do or ministries to do to, um, to expand or reach people. Sure. And sure. came to me to, to make it. And there was, there was really nothing going on up in Pennsylvania and New York. The camp started in New York. We ended up moving to Pennsylvania because campground own a campground. We have a great campground that we rent. And when that became available. We actually went through some wilderness trials, as it were. The campground we were at, we kind of made an attempt to buy it. And then that didn't work out. And so they didn't like us. And so running it didn't let us out. We ended up at a Salvation Army camp up on Lake Ontario. Uh, And then the year after we came off of that, um, we ended up at um, where we are now, where we're renting in, in Butler, PA. Sure. Now, if, if I could, and just more house to keep thing, if I could actually have you, if it lets you, you still just, there? yeah, can, can you hear me? All right. Can you hear I can me? Hear you. Okay. If you could, if you could, um, you? if just tap the, the, the camera button so that turn off the camera, we'll just do audio only. And I think that will, um, that might help the bandwidth issue uh, that we're having a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully it will. Um, just the audio is coming through a little bit choppy, and we'll, we can just operate without the uh, camera if that's okay. I'm trying. You're fine. We'll take a second here. Again, we're uh, for those that are watching, we are uh, live with Brother Jim Crone, pastor um, up in the New York area. 
He runs Common Ground Baptist Camp, a flag football um, tournament um, in October, I think was the time frame. We, we'll, we might talk about that in just a little while. Um, we're gonna, also going to need to talk about, for those that can't see, going to need to talk about the exceedingly um, discouraging shirt he's wearing right now as well. Were you able to get that working, Brother Crone? You still there? I turned the camera off, uh, so I'm okay. no longer visible okay. in the room. Gotcha. I'm, okay. Can you? I, I, hear I, me? I can hear. I can, I can hear you right can now. You I, I, I can hear it. I think we'll be. Uh, I think we'll be good to go. So, I, you give me a test one two if you would. Test one two. Okay, we'll we'll go with that. All right. So for, for those of you that can't see uh, with the crown, it's all right. Um, he is wearing a Buffalo Bills shirt, uh, or or sweater. What 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 is that all about, Brother Crone? I grew up five miles from what was then known as Rich Stadium. Okay. Okay. I used and... to run by the stadium all the time. I went to a Bills game when I was in high school when the team was 0-11. And I watched them beat the Dallas Cowboys and knock them out of the playoff race. <laughs> as as yeah, not a Dallas back. Cowboy fan. I... Uh, so, so you stuck with them through thick and thin. Yeah, and we had a lot of thick after that. You know, when we got in right. the 90s, it was high, high cotton. But uh, right. it's been uh, remarkably thin since. Right. Now, I am I, – I don't know. I'm assuming you may know this, but I have been a lifelong Patriots fan, and I hope we can still – be friends based off of their recent and not so yeah. recent success for a while now. So can we still remain um, uh, battle buddies, compatriots in the ministry with, with that being known? Yeah, that's not a problem. I actually, uh, my biggest frustration as a Bills fan is that they are not more like Belichick and Brady. Sure. So it, it, because it, it, this is a conversation about anything and everything, and I, I'm completely okay with that. What... What do you think is the success? Sports commentators talk about this all the time. But from a guy that's an engineer, loves football, and is pretty good at football himself, what do you think? I'm curious. What do you think it is about Belichick Brady that makes them tick and be so good? Uh, Brady is dedicated, humble, and coachable. I mean, I know that he's for, he's probably unsaved and probably uh, – uh, probably braggadocious off camera and things like that. But compared to the egos of the other people in the sports, his is fairly under control mm-hmm. and uh, stays focused. And he's willing to not always make the flashy play, just check it down and move it. Right. Belichick is the kind of the genius behind it. Um, he takes what the defense gives him, which is, which is, why and Brady's good at and willing to do that, and it's one of the reasons why they're so successful. Um, right. it's very frustrating to me. Like, I felt always felt like like the Bills had some coaches that were just so bad, and they would put out these mantras like, Oh, we've got to run and stop the run. Well, yeah, sure, that phrase was coined in the 1950s when it was legal for defensive backs to to jump on the back of wide receivers and force them to give them piggyback rides. You know, it was like, it's a different game now. Right. And I don't know how many times I'd watch the bills run stubbornly into eight man boxes because they needed to set up the run or some kind of stupid thing like that. If you're running, going against an eight man box, you already have set up the run. And so a lot of times the bills suffered when they would just do stupid things like that. 
and Belichick doesn't do that. Sure. Now, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to hold you. We have a third option. I'm trying to bring up my tablet to see if this will work. Yeah, for sure. Take your time. That's one of the beauties of Maybe. being live. You deal with the you deal with the things that that happen. Um, if you need to, if you, if you need to leave the room for a second, I can, we'll fill some airtime. And if you want to jump in on that, that'd be no problem. If it works, it works. If not, we'll come back, come back with the other option. Um, yeah, let me, um, let me leave the room for a second and see if I can join over. Sure. And what, for those that are listening, when I say leave the room, um, there's a, the program that we're using to go live. Um, it's called, Hey, I see you. Wow. Let's, can you hear me? See. I can hear you as well, and you're actually moving in a manner that is cl- approximates more of a human, less robotic. Let's see if it'll let me throw this People over here. Rather robotic. <laughs> there we go. I think we're good to go. Awesome. Well, hey. That was my phone. Adapt, overcome. We'll make it happen. That will work. Awesome. Well, there you go. Third time's a charm. Well, cool. So and we're, we're talking a little bit of football. You have been a lifelong football fan. Would that be safe to say, safe to assume? Yes, very okay. much so. Now, it's, you run a football tournament. It, um, what's that all about? Obviously, I've been there, but tell the folks what, that, what that's all about. So, flag football for youth groups, um, designed to fill a niche, basically. If you, anytime you're reaching or trying to get people in a Christian school, they're going to um, they're going to ask you about your sports programs. It's just the nature of America today, and I don't want the kids out in the world as much as they are. And if I can provide something to replace that, there's a couple of reasons why I don't want them out in the world. The first is obviously the influences, and they make these they make these friendships when they're ten, and it's cute, I guess. And then by the time they're sixteen, you're regretting that they even know that person. Um, and then the other thing is the world demands so much more. I ran, I ran track in high school and I went to three hour practices, six days a week. And I'd rather have my kids reading the Bible than, than doing that. But you can learn things from sports. And so, and so it's good to have a niche like this. And so that's meant to, to something that we can do. We have for, for our team that plays, we do, uh, we have 10 practices and uh or so something like that a couple scrimmages perhaps and then we have the tournament and then it's done and so what we're talking about is two days a week for five or six weeks then the tournament's over and it doesn't dominate our time it doesn't dominate our life sure and uh really enjoyed it it's for youth groups the way we phrase it that way because we do seven on seven and this way we allow two adults on the field um i do that for a couple reasons number one and this is the the one that we don't talk about as much, but honestly, it's it's pretty important. If we didn't allow two adults on the field, a lot of churches wouldn't be able to participate because they wouldn't be able to quite field. They don't have 10, 10 guys, right? Right. But if you have, you know, if you allow two adults on, you could get by with six mm-hmm. teen guys, and it just makes all the difference in the world as far as as far as as far as people being able to field the team. And then I also like to do it with them. That's a way I can bond with them. I, I, I think that the time and the practices are perhaps just as important as the time in the tournament and bonding with the kids. And I really love it. Um, gives me kind of an outlet for myself too in sports because I still play. I enjoy that. Right. Right. Now you, you mentioned something and something I've noticed about you is you have a lot of principles set up. You, 
I don't know if you do anything by accident. With I don't know if that would be fair to say. Part of that's being an engineer. My dad was a um, mechanical engineer um, in college and, and graduated with a degree in that. And he's very similar in that. Um, there's very few things that just happen because they happen. Um, this is a broad question, but of all of the principles and little things that you do on purpose, um, and if it's not too personal, what, what are some of the ones or one that is the most important important to you just whether it applies to team groups apply i know you're big with finances and you're a principal as far as finances but if you had to pick one that is very important to you what would it be um i i, I hate to let you down on that on the right. question i don't know if i have one that would sure. trump all the rest sure truth is truth right all sure. truth is god's truth mm-hmm. so when you discover truth and you you want to I don't think I think you maybe can get a little bit dangerous if you start elevating one principle sure. above all the rest. Sure, and, and, I, I don't I don't think I, I and, and you you understand what I'm saying. It, it's not um, one that you put above others, but I, I found in so many Are circumstances. Sure. And, 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 sure. And I, I think maybe the question I, I feel like if I seems like in every circumstance I've seen you in, in, um, in uh, counselors meetings at camp, um, just speaking to the to, in junior camp, uh, just right then and there, you talk about and, and I know I, I know your principles for why you why you have two adults in the field and those type of things. It seems like in each spot you have these things like they're forethought, uh, forethought out. Well, let me ask this then. Most of those things. When you go into a circumstance, like you, when you start the, um, let's take that as, as a microcosm, the flag football tournament. Did you go into that and try to lay everything out like like a, like a good engineer from the get go, or does anything happen by chance, or do do you just try to be as ready and think out every single thing from the get go? Yeah, I always try to think out every little thing from the get go. I don't always succeed at that. And you can't expect to succeed at that. But we don't want to say, I don't, I guess, if, I, not to just pull out a spiritual answer here, sure. but I'm going to say that it's not chance. It's that I think when you do that work up front and you're perfectly seeking God, um, God fills in the gaps. The Holy Spirit, you can't leave the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. out of that. Sure. So the example I would use, well, before I leave football, let me just say, the I got the idea from the football camp from your pastor, actually, because okay. I went. Before I not football camp, the football tournament. Sure. Because before we ran a football tournament, we went to the one down that used to be run down near Allison Park. Mm-hmm. But it was the year after Brother Grimaldi left, and it was Brother Grimaldi left to, to go up to Minnesota, and then they still had it, and then it died after that. So it was either we start one or or not. Right. But uh, we we took what they had and adapted it, but. I guess junior camp would be a good example of kind of what I'm talking about here. Um, I realized that juniors were different than teenagers and I had never been to a junior camp. I had been to a joint camp, but I was with the teenagers. I had never been to a junior camp and everyone is telling me you need to start a junior camp. I'm like, I've never been to one. What am I going to do? And I got to start one by next summer. So I, I called all sorts of uh, people that were involved in it. I had people send me their material and I just talked and talked and listened and prayed and digested and tried to figure it out as I, cause I didn't want to just copy the teen program and make it juniors mm-hmm. because teens are not the same as juniors. And I think that's a mistake. I'd been to a camp that had done, I could see from afar that had done that. 
while I was with the teens, I could see the juniors were just kind of doing the exact same thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it, you know, there was, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. That says it could, you know, there was, there was low hanging fruit that was left behind. And so we, I started to pick out what were the key differences and then trying to design things to make those key differences. We don't do points at junior camp. We do camp cash because juniors are still in that concrete operational stage where points are too abstract for them or for some of them. So the fact that when they get fined, they've got to walk up and hand in the camp cash. It's one of those things that just helps the camp and helps the kids help the council maintain control. We don't put, we don't put junior campers on, on other teams. We, we design the teams around, around the churches that come because with the teenagers, a lot of times it's good to break them out from their, uh, from their, their comfort zone mm-hmm. so that the Lord can get at them with the juniors. It can become more of a distraction. Some of them are just, you know, we're, we, we have a, we have a good, we have a good track record of avoiding terrible homesickness, for instance, with mm-hmm. the juniors, even in this baby snowflake age we live in. And, um, and part of that, I think, is because they're with the counselors and the kids they know. Mm-hmm. And so all these changes we made, and we don't need to list them all or whatever, they, uh, they came from all of that research. And I ex- fully expected that, that after the first year or two or three, we'd have to make major changes because I was like, well, this is good, but let's see. And then to my surprise, it, we haven't had to make very many major changes at all. We've done some minor things, but. And that I think that's just God filling in the gaps. Sure, sure. I guess the verse that I would use for that would be that he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And the idea that I get behind that is not just sins. It's the idea of being open to feedback. One, mm-hmm. I always do questioning the camp. And the reason why I do that is not all feedback is good, but I want the feedback, even the non-good kind, and I want to go through it and and figure out if there's merit to it mm-hmm. um what is what is progress progress is failure yesterday mm-hmm. you can't progress unless you failed yesterday unless you didn't do something as well as you could have yesterday sure if you were perfect yesterday you couldn't progress and so i think there's a there's a benefit to to having that attitude in areas that aren't sin sure. where you're you're not looking to ignore your weaknesses or parts or problems where you can do better. You're looking to confess and forsake them and move forward. You're always looking for that feedback. And I think that that helps. Now that, that taps into something. I mean, I may be mining for something that's not, not there. I think if I know myself, I think this is kind of the direction I was trying to go uh, with a previous question. You, I was trying to figure out how how to ask this. You do a good job in my opinion of, of peeling back the curtain a little bit and, and giving the reasons why we do what we do. And I'm trying to figure out if that's just me, I'm, I'm not the most observant person in the world by any stretch, but I don't know if it's because I'm just looking for it or it, it, I guess the question is, is that a purposeful thing? Because every time we, you do, you do something and now I'm a counselor at all of your events. I've never experienced them as a teenager or as a junior, but I feel like you always harp, you, not harp, in right, good, you know, good way. You point out this is why we're doing this. This is why we're doing this, and it's always so super logical, super biblical. Is that purposeful, or is that just something that naturally happens? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's absolutely intentional. I, I strive to be transparent. Sure. Um, not just in those things, but even in just every area of, of, uh, of running the church or whatever, I try to be very open. I, I, I want to build consensus. Jesus, I feel like there's going to be times where you've got to go against the masses, but, but Jesus also was the shepherd and, you know, the shepherd hear my voice and follow me and, and shepherds, I don't want to be a goat herder. Mm-hmm. Goat herders drive from the rear. If you watched, uh, if you know how a shepherd would or a goat herder would herd goats, they they beat they beat the goat from behind, and they kind of oh, goats are a herd animal. They'll go in the right direction, and but so they'll 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 just be tapping goats to kind of get them in the right direction. With sheep, you don't do that. At least everything that I've read about it, you get out in front of them and call, and they just naturally follow you. And so if I want that to happen, then I got to be explaining to people why. Mm-hmm. And, and one of my, one of my um, things, I guess, that I am passionate about is the idea that if I can't convince you that what we're doing is right, then, then maybe we're not right. I really, I had a hard time with the idea of even becoming senior pastor. Mm-hmm. Number one, I, didn't, I don't feel as if uh, I had this, your, your pastor had, has done a lot to help me with this. And he's counseled with me a bunch of times about it. Don't feel as I feel like senior pastors ought to be better than me. And I, that's not just be saying, and I just feel like the weight and the magnitude of what a senior pastor does is so astounding that it it should be, there should be a, a, a a level above what I do, I think anyway. um, And so when someone reacts to what I say the wrong way or, thinks that what I'm doing is a, a dumb idea. It, the first thought in my mind is, am I making a mistake? Let me think about this. And I'll, I'll pray about it. I'm, I'm the same way with my wife, honestly. My wife's smart, wise, just amazing servant of the Lord. So I'm the head of the home. But if she, if I disagree with her, my first reaction is not, you know, shut up woman, and I love you. It, it's, it's, whoa, what if she's right? Let's pray about this. Why do you think that? And I'll ask her questions like, what, you know, how, what are you thinking here? Let's pray about this together. And if push comes to shove, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the one that's going to make the decisions. But a lot of times what, she's catching something that maybe I'm missing. And I feel like I've taken that attitude in with the church and with every ministry I do. If, if when someone, who I especially I respect, disagrees with me, then my first reaction is, well, like, how come? Let's let's talk about this, and let's pray about this. And maybe you're right. Now, if you're, if I feel like the Lord's leading me in another direction, you don't want to take this principle too far to the point where you're frozen in action or you're you are a slave to the masses. And maybe that's a fine line. I, I hope it's not for other people. Um, it, but it's a matter of of leading in this in this way. And so if I have that attitude and how I lead, then very naturally, I'm going to be trying to not just tell you what to do. If I respect you, especially if I need you on my side or pulling in the same direction, I'm going to try to convince you or explain why we're doing what we're doing so that you buy in and and pull all that all that all that much harder pulling the sled. Absolutely. And I, I greatly appreciate transparency. And it's, it's funny um, having a chance to be around you. And of course, my boss, Pastor Grimaldi, 
you can accuse him of anything, but you can't accuse him of not being transparent. He is who he is, and I, I greatly appreciate that. There, there's no, um, yeah. there's no deep state with Brother Grimaldi. There is Brother Joe Grimaldi. Um, I like so, that. There's <laughs> no deep state. Well, well, hold on. He is Sicilian, so there is just the littlest bit of the mob mentality behind there. You, you know, don't look at my right I hand. Not uh, on his bad side. No, not at all. Um, he, he joked on Wednesday, being in Minnesota, the land of ten thousand lakes or whatever. That's not a good place for a, a mobster to be. But um, it, very, very transparent. And, and I've, I feel like the the men that I, I that I've been able to come in contact. with, with that have been either influenced by or are a direct um, result of your investment have taken that to heart as well. But how do you feel like you have, besides maybe just teaching it, how do you feel like you translated that concept to the next generation of young men of this idea that be transparent, explain it, show them why, why. And if they decide no, that it's not for them, then that's fine. Leave them be. Well, example, you know, Jesus did all things as an example for us. And so if Jesus gives you something, you're going to have to pass that on, not only with teaching, but by example. Sure. Sure. Now you, you have the camp, you have um, a bit background in engineering, you have the Buffalo Bills. I'm just going through, I guess, character traits or parts of, of the whole, the, the, the parts Buffalo that make Bills up. Character, that is for sure. I have a lot more character because I root for the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> there, yeah. there you go. I, I was listening to someone. I'm not, I'm not like, I don't know. Let's pick out a random team that has it easy all the time. Oh, the Patriots. I'm not like oh. one of those wimpy people that, you know, I, I you for, can say uh, that, but only I don't know my team has been the only team that has been the subject of these slanderous and libelous attacks otherwise known as spygate and deflategate all of which a logical man would admit hold barely to no water whatsoever and and it's national news media for 18 months when the balls in an engineer tell me that the, the that it was cold of course the balls were a little bit deflated, but we can get at all that. But my team has been, I have it hard for the crone. It's hard. Just that. No, you don't have it hard. <laughs> Let me get out the small violin. Are you kidding me? <laughs> now you can argue about whether or not, like say deflate gate was a thing or sure. should have been a thing. Sure. But, but there's no doubt that they were doing it on purpose. Possibly. I mean, Brady, no, there's no doubt. He's, he's calling the guy, the deflator. And he's sending him texts telling them to deflate. And then when they were come looking for his phone, he destroys it. And there's just no doubt that that really happened. And no. there's no doubt. And it's smart. I'm not. See, here's the thing. Everything the Patriots do, whether it's legal or not, is smart. Right. And I, I admire that about the smartness of it because it doesn't. It certainly didn't matter in that Colts game where it came out. Right. But the, but the one of the reasons I think that all those years prior. That for a cold weather team, they had the one of the lowest fumble percentages. Sure, it's because you know a little bit of a softer ball when you're on offense mm-hmm. um, helps you not fumble. Absolutely, absolutely. And I actually didn't even know that each team got their own set of balls. Right. I didn't even know that. Well, so everyone, everybody got way more information about the handling of of footballs and how they all that stuff than anybody needed. But let me tell you something about let me tell you something about Spygate. Okay, go ahead. So Mangini used to be on his staff. Right. Belichick. And so he just says to Belichick, listen, I know you do this. Just don't do it to me. Right. And Belichick, whatever, whoever in his organization just decides to do that anyways. 
Right. That's chutzpah, and that's also stupidity. Right. And then, and so, so that I mean, it wasn't like ben, Benjini was a, like a terrible guy. There, he's like, "Don't do this to me," and we'll just whatever. I'm not going to rat you out or whatever. But he does it anyways, and so he, and then, and then the NFL offices destroy all of the evidence before they leave the room. Yeah, and come on. That's kind of, well, it, it's one of those so things. I don't like... know. I don't know. Is I can you can equate that to suffering? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only cross that you have to bear. It, in the, it feels in the hard. It's so hard. I know. <laughs> I, I, I saw I saw uh, uh, me a picture, you know, uh, last six years, Alabama and uh, the Patriots have taken turns winning national championships. So it is a it is a difficult cross to bear. Uh, as you, you know mentioned, who, do, you know who, do you know who Rob Johnson is? Of course you do. Rob Johnson. Do you know who J.P. Lossman is? Do, oh, I'm sorry. do you know who J.P. Lossman? Trent Edwards. How about Trent Edwards? Yes. Trent, uh, about, Chiefs quarterback. Do you understand, yeah. do you understand that we could probably – I, I don't know if I could name them all, but I think that the Bills have had twenty different starting quarterbacks. Almost as many as the, almost as many as the Browns, probably. You're, you're, it's probably getting up there. So yeah, I'm not, not equating that to suffering. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I can understand that, and I, I won't. I won't make a light of your your team situation, though. I, I would be curious to know how much longer Belichick's gonna gonna stick around to make the AFC East his his fiefdom. So I, I guess we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, you also get dabble with board games and things like that. You, you a lot of different things going on. Are you actively still making board games or wh- where did that begin besides your love of, uh, of, of that Avenue? Well, I, I used to play uh, kind of military strategy when mm-hmm. I was a kid. This was before that was, that was the thing before there was video games. Okay, that right. wasn't really ever the thing. I mean, it was never mainstream. It was not like video games. But what I'm saying is, if you wanted to do something that was war related, you were either running around with a stick, or you were or a plastic gun. You couldn't you couldn't play you couldn't play Battlefield 1942 or something like that. You couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You couldn't play Call of Duty. You so what you did was there was a kind of a niche. Thing there that where you played uh, military simulation games, and I played them as a kid, and I enjoyed them. So um, I passed some of that on to my family, and along the way, then I just designed some kind of as a hobby. I always say if you can make money off your hobby, you know that's a bonus. And so I designed some, and to my surprise, they did really well. And so they're not when you say board games, people are going to think about things that are sold in in like a toy store or something like that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, there's like this niche of games and we sell them at camp that, uh, that are kind of, they're called designer games or Euro games. And then within that niche, there's also, uh, there are military simulation games. And that's the little niche I live in. But I started doing that to help supplement an assistant pastor's <laughs> income. I took a kind of a pay cut when I went from, to put it mildly, when I went from Xerox to working for Southeast full time. And then, um, so that was just a, meant to help supplement that a little. Sure. Now, the the not infatuation would be the word, but the interest in military and that it was that the the little boy running around with a gun that liked the military, or was there some desire on your part to maybe be in the military as a younger uh, younger person? I had an ROTC scholarship when I went to college, and I turned it down, okay. but I seriously considered it. My father fought in Vietnam. Um, my brother went in the Air Force. My um, my grandfather, one grandfather fought in the Pacific. The other grandfather fought in the European theater in World War II. 
the twist on that story is my grandfather in the European theater was fighting for the wrong side. Hmm. But, um, as you can probably guess by my last name, very, sure. very oh, German. Right. But um, so, yeah, I was kind of raised with a respect for that. Not it was, We weren't really like a, a career military family, but there was a certain amount of respect for that night, whatever. And I was interested in that, read a lot of, a lot of military history. So that kind of got me down that path. Awesome. And, and you've written six books, is that right? Or how many books have you written? Um, none of that. Now we're switching topics because none of these have to do with military history. But yeah, I wrote, um, yeah, I think six. Okay. Now, what is it, I guess, curiosity for myself and maybe some other guys, because you hear all the time, preachers need to write and all those things. And I, I would say not enough of them probably are. Um what gets you, what got you to the point the first time where you said, I'm going to put this down on paper and, and not, not, not a proud, Hey, I have something really smart to tell everybody, but what got you to that point where you said, I, I need to write, write a book. Well, see, that's, there's kind of a fine line there because every time you write a book, it's an act of ego. Sure. You're saying that you have something that no one else has. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot get me to write a book on prayer. There has been like how many thousands of good, not even just books, but good books on prayer. I don't know as I have anything to offer in that. Um, but it started with um, with biblical youth work where I was seeing a certain amount of success. And I, I really I'm kind of a, like I said, I'm kind of a when I gave you my background, I guess you could say I'm kind of a mutt in the sense that I had a lot of influences on me, but I didn't have a particular Bible college stamp on me. Mm-hmm. And so I started to do things that were different than in a lot of youth groups. And so I felt like, and then I had success doing it. I felt like God was blessing it. And so then I started to use some of my vacation time at, from Xerox to actually begin writing biblical youth work. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's because I, I had something that I felt I could offer. And I, the same thing with the simple discipleship material. And then the same thing with the uh, book on finances. I felt like I had something accessible that I could give to people. And then um, the books on, you know, the new Testament and old Testament companions, they were just something that wasn't out there. I was doing for my kids Mm -hmm. in my youth group and others were asking me for. So I figured I should do that, you know, put that out there for them. Um, I actually call, I actually, uh, uh, a book I really like is called Schizophrenic by Tom Brennan. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's not about mental disease. It's about how independent fundamental Baptists are sometimes schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And it really shows like maybe what we'll say the good and the bad side, but not in a condemning way, but in a, Hey, let's get better in these areas kind of way. Sure. And I really liked that book. I actually contacted that author and said, Thank you so much for writing this book because now I don't have to. I mean, I, I have no desire to spend time writing a book that I feel is already out there. Right. It's, it's got to be something that I feel would actually help someone. If there's something else there out there already that will help someone, then I can just recommend the book and I don't have to waste the time writing it. Right. Now, you mentioned youth work being the kind of the first uh, um, spur to to writing the book. Not, I'm not going to ask you to summarize your, your, your work on that, but to whet someone's appetite, um, could you point out maybe either the biggest successes that you feel you have that a lot of pe- other people are not having or some of the biggest issues in youth groups that are going un, 
unnoticed or un, uh, uh, unfixed uh, that you, that maybe reading your book, maybe wet people's appetite for why they might want to consider getting one of your books? Well, for biblical youth work, I would say that the vast majority of kids that grow up in our church end up serving and living for the Lord. And that's not what I had run into when I was, when I took over the youth group, no one, no, no one grew up, stayed in church when I took over the youth group. And when I started to run youth group and I would interact with other people, I found that that was the norm in other churches. But in our church, it's the norm for, it's odd. It's disappointing when a kid grows up in our church and doesn't end up serving the Lord. And so I look around my deacon board now, and there's quite a few of them that I either led to the Lord or came up through my youth group. And I think that's the way it should be. Right. Christianity should be multi-generational for sure. Sure. So basically, to sum up, the lack of churches producing that second generation would be the key to the, the, the key difference between what you have been doing, what God's allowed you to do, and what other churches are doing. Sure. And what motivated me then to write the book was that I was getting all these other books on youth work. And while none of them were bad, per se, none of them, I, I don't know how many I picked up that I would go through, and there would not be one verse of scripture used in it. Hmm. Not, not a single one. Or the only verse of scripture used in the book would be, they'd give the plan of salvation during part of the book, and they would quote scripture there, and they wouldn't use it in anything else. And it seemed like now we're talking about 90s that this happened. It seemed like in the 90s, all the youth groups were operating under kind of a hand-me-down philosophy borrowed from the world or just whatever whatever kind of collection of things. And uh, so that's why I ended up putting – that's why I ended up calling my book Biblical Youth Work. There's a scripture uh, index in the back which shows where all the scripture is, and it's, it's packed with scripture on purpose. Um, because I was trying to lay out the biblical case for why we should have a youth group, what we should do with it. Amen. And I would guess that you probably a similar model for your your book on your I don't even call it a book a booklet on on finances. I mean, it really just packs a bunch of good stuff into a, a small package. Is is that a similar concept where you just didn't see a biblical approach to this thing, and, and you wanted to put that out there? There's some good biblical approaches to to finances um, that are out there and and maybe not even biblical, but we could at least say sound physical. Sure. Like Dave Ramsey has got a lot of good stuff on finances, but I wanted to write it. I wanted a book written from a church perspective where his is not, his is written to reach the broad masses. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be accessible. I, I limited myself. I told myself I would not go over a hundred pages. Mm-hmm. It comes in at 96. Okay. And it was all, that was all very intentional because I wanted a book that everyone could read and would read, wouldn't be scared off by the size and would you grab you all of sign up for some university or some extended 12 week program or something like that. No, no. I wanted it so that every, everyone could grab the low-hanging fruit. And and the reason why I'm burdened by that is because I believe that we live in the most affluent time in world history. Everyone today is richer than the kings of old. Solomon wishes he had running water. He wishes he had the access to the variety of foods that we have. Uh, I mean, just it's just amazing. And the quality of food that we have. Uh, we're uh, the the change just the clothes our closets are are overflowing we live in the most affluent time of history 
and we happen to live in the most affluent country in the world, and we have God blessing us, meaning you take those two things together, affluent country, most affluent country in the most affluent time in the world, and then you add to it, God wants to bless us on top of that. And he would, just like he wanted to bless those people who were less affluent, how is it that everyone in church is broke? Everyone is just hanging on. And the reason is because people have, I believe, adopted a covetous philosophy that uh, the reason for that, like we live in a covetous society. And so the covetous society is rubbed off on us and we've justified it by, by laying Bible over that. Mm-hmm. And so out of context. So obviously not to the Joel Osteen level where God wants to bless you and make you a millionaire, but just the idea that God will provide for all your needs. Well, he won't actually. He, or maybe if he provides for your needs and you, and you squander it on other things, on your own desires, then he won't necessarily get, bail you out. And this came into focus on me when I was thinking about leaving Xerox. And I wanted to leave Xerox without a mortgage payment. And now, mind you, I was only at Xerox for 12 years, and I bought my – I only had my house for eight when I left Xerox. So I didn't quite do it. But within a couple of years after leaving Xerox, I had my, my house paid off. And I lay out some examples in that book, for instance, where you know two couples come in – or say, well, they have two couples that go through a problem 20 years into their marriage, right? They've got their house, whatever. They're 16 years into their mortgage. And um, and then they lose the job. The main breadwinner loses the job. Something that happens all the time today. And and the one is you know pray for me, and we should pray for that person. Um, pray for me. I don't know what we're gonna do. You know, someone who is in a thirty-year mortgage at that point, sixteen years in, probably owes two thirds of their of their mortgage still mm-hmm. where someone got a s- smaller house, 15 year mortgage is paid off and has been saving for the last year. And then you got the other family there that it's a completely different way. They react to when they come into these meetings, they're, they're like, pray for me. We lost a job. Thankfully, you know, we've got our house paid off. It's just a completely different atmosphere. And it all comes down to our coverage society telling you the banks telling you get the 30 year mortgage get the you can afford this bigger house if you just do this we got to have this now and if only we would we would take a uh, a better approach to this uh, like a more humble approach to this mm-hmm. we so we'll say we don't lose your job okay so you don't lose your job now can you imagine what you could do for the work of god now that you don't have a mortgage and so i talk about how it ought to be everyone's goal to not have a mortgage by the time they're 40. And I beg people that if they have a 30 year mortgage to get out of it as fast as possible, get into a 15 year mortgage. If it means going to a smaller house, whatever, paying extra, get into a smaller mortgage because of how it impacts things. You know, I talked to, I I was burdened because I talked to 50 year old Christian saints who still owed 20 years on their mortgage because they, refinanced it again and got it upscaled the house and them. And so then you, then you have a building program fundraiser or even just a missions conference and they're under all of this financial pressure. So how do they react to the, to the, to the preacher? He, they're like, Oh, he's just a money grubber. Whereas if he, if they had their house paid off, 
maybe they'd have a better, you know what I'm saying? And then right. you think about all the fights that happen in marriage and how many of them are really related to the thing that you're fighting about or how many of them are related to stress mm-hmm. and financial stress is like the number one of the, it rakes in the top three and it's usually number one of things that fan of that families fight about. I, I get that we should be spiritual and be able to deal with financial stretch, but I just feel like all of this has just been copied from the world and uh, families are suffering for it. Sure. It, it, and there's a huge, I mean, I, I was talking to a, a gentleman, Pastor Jay Reed, uh, I think episode four, and he was talking about how, uh, he was talking about an issue with family roles and proper family roles. And it occurred to me, and what you just said is we haven't just copied the world's stress standards. We haven't just copied the world's music standards, but we've adopted family philosophies and money philosophies, obviously, but we've kind of copy and pasted them over onto ourselves and we're still Christians and nobody, nobody bats an eye at, you know, your money issues that, you know, if you're, if your skirt's too high, there's a big issue. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you know, you're upside down in your house and you have no money in the bank and you, we think you're, you're, you're a better Christian because you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you, you have so much, so many different things going on before, before we leave this topic, where, where could people buy your books at? Uh, go to myground.org and you'll find a store there. My, my ground. So my, 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 yeah, the short, well, so our camp is common ground Baptist camp. Mm-hmm. And the short shorthand for our ministry and common ground is awfully long. It's just my ground, M-Y-G-R-O-U-N-D, myground.org. And that'll take you to our church. And from our church website, you can find camp, you can find you can find a bookstore, et cetera. Sure. And, and, and I would encourage those that are listening, take a second. I mean, you got a, a, a snippet of what uh, of what he's talking about. There's a wealth of knowledge there. He's spent you know a lot of time investing in that. I, I greatly appreciate okay, it. Well, Go ahead. I'll say one more thing about that. Mm-hmm. Not every kid should go to college. That's another thing that we have copied from the world. Mm-hmm. That is, mm-hmm. and it's not just the fact that, you know, when they get out, they might not have a job. It's the opportunity cost of the four years of their life where they'll have the greatest savings potential. They will not have the greatest earnings potential, but they will have the greatest savings potential of their life. And if they could have those four years where they're actually saving that money, a lot of times they can come out ahead. So my youngest is in nursing college now. She went the four-year route. My little child went, um, did a phlebotomy for 12-week course, 12-week course, two-week internship. And uh, she's doing very well. She's living at home, and she's, she's saving an incredible and an incredible because, you know, she could have gone to college. Well, why, the, here's the thing. Only go to college if – if the pot at the end of that rainbow makes it worth all the time and money you spend, don't go to college because go to college only if the pot at the end of the rainbow is, is worth it. Sure. And uh, it's something I, I'm hearing from those, from people in the secular world, the, the same thing, like, like a Mike Rowe with dirty jobs and some different people talking about how, it makes no sense. And it's a bill of goods. And maybe at that time, maybe not so much, but it's something that was sold to people back, you know, years and years ago as the American dream, having a house, you know, a big house, um, going to college, having all your kids go to college. Um, but if it doesn't make, it may have made sense then, but if it doesn't make financial sense now, then, you know, think, think elsewhere for sure. Um, you, you, we, we covered, 
the Buffalo Bills. We covered the Patriots a little bit in there as well. Uh, we covered the books, and, and I would highly recommend myground.org. Go there. And for those of you that are anywhere near New York, Pennsylvania, what, what's the furthest church away that comes to Common Ground Baptist Camp? Maine. Maine, okay. And wh- wh- how kind of drive time is that for them? Sixteen hours. Sixteen. Wow. So that, that's that's a good good long drive. Um, Maryland, in Maryland from the D.C. area, we have some people coming, and that's probably twelve. Okay. So not not much. Not much. Sure, sure. And so people coming from a long way away, and there's, I believe there's a good reason for it. Um, we have the chance to go um, with our juniors and with our teens, and uh, we we are blessed that we're only an hour and a half away. Um, but we we, we I, I, what? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You guys are, and that's a crazy thing. You guys are five hours away or so. Uh, when you have teenagers, sure. Sure. Four and a half if you have teenagers. Gotcha. So, so the camp that it's a Nazarene camp that you folks rent for each summer for about eleven hundred kids this past year. Is that right? Yes, almost exactly eleven hundred. Exactly. That was over five weeks, but this coming year is going to be four weeks. In well, what's the first date? What's the last date of camp for people that might be interested? The first, the, the week that's got Fourth of July in it is the first week, and then we run consecutively after that. So all four are together. So basically, all four weeks of July, just about maybe 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 push over the last next month. But um, I highly highly recommend it. Um, preaching has been phenomenal. Um, it's going to go way downhill because you have somebody else. You have yours truly coming. It's it's not going to be very good this year. But everyone else will be great. Um, but I, I greatly appreciate appreciate again the transparency, the the things that I've been able to glean. I'm a you know a counselor at camp. Counselors are just supposed to come and make sure the kids don't burn the place down. But but you 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 do uh, what, 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 that 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 that's that's what we think a lot of times. And you 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 flip the script on that. You got them much more involved than they normally would be. Um, but also you take time to invest in and teach them as well. Well, my secret philosophy is to reach the counselors. If you reach the kids. The benefit is only so much, Hmm. but if you reach the kids and the counselors, then you've got something. Then the counselors start implementing those same philosophies at home, and it changes. That's just the dynamic of their groups and their church. Sure. And so, if I if I could only reach one of the two, the kids or the counselors, I would take the counselors every single time. Hmm. Hmm. And that that, and that again, it's one of those things that I I have heard you say that once before. Go ahead. It's one of the reasons why we started council meetings. Mm-hmm. I've been to, I've been to other camps where a council meeting is five minutes, and mm-hmm. um, and it's just like this, here's what's going on in a day. Let's did pray I, and move. Did anybody go to the hospital? I, no. Okay, we're good. Right. Yeah, yeah. No one's dead. <laughs> but no, I started council meetings specifically because, and every year I I usually have something that some specific point I want to get across in one of the meetings, but I, I like to open it up for discussion. Um, and it's just a good time where we can fellowship a little bit that we would never have um, if it's not in the if it's not in the schedule. Sure, and and I know for me, and having been to even as a teenager going to, as a junior counselor, um, it could be some going to junior camp. A lot of places could be something that junior counselors dread, but I think the what you what you've done, even that forty five minute block of time of 
fellowship, you have something awesome to look forward to. Even even if your kids are just holy terrors and you're gonna, it's gonna be miserable the rest of the, and nobody sleeps and all that stuff. But it gives you something, like you said, reaching the counselors. If the counselors really want to come back, they're gonna bring some juniors with them, and it's a self it's self perpetuating thing. It keeps going. Um, so I'll finish one more time because I've heard that principle. I've heard principles about about the flag football. Is a principle that I I have never that I have never been exposed to. If you if you can think of one, not an important one, but just one I haven't heard yet that you might talk to another group about that you have not heard yet. Christian school. Okay, go ahead. There are there is room in the world and Christianity for open enrollment schools. But you should never send your kid to one. That's extreme. What happens with, you know, so obviously your mileage may vary. It depends a lot on the school. But our school is designed to be small. And it's okay that it's small. We don't want to be big. We're not beholden to any family. And what we're trying, one of my philosophies is at youth group, you want everyone to come. And at times, you know, the regulars, they know the dress standard. Someone shows up with not in dress standard. We don't care. We're just glad that they're there, and we're going to try to get them back. And all the time, we'll work with them. Mm-hmm. We want everyone because you can and ride herd on them pretty effectively for three hours. Mm-hmm. You can make sure nothing bad's going on. Um, and then you and then you keep the pulpit hot at youth group. You preach them in, or you preach them out. You know, they either are going to stay with the preaching and start getting better, or they're going to realize they're, they're not they're not going to want to stay, and they're going to leave. And that's okay. That's better for your kids that are still there. But Christian school is another animal. Close enrollment. I would beg all of you that are listening to consider close enrollment in the sense that you, cause you can't have that level of vigilance six hours a day, five days a week, seven hours a day, five days a week. You just can't. And those relationships, you end up the end result in many, in many cases, not in all cases, in many cases in an open enrollment school is a glorified, a real glorified public school or a, in some ways a, a school that's worse than a public school. Cause you can't, you can't say to public school, you can say to them, listen, they're not saved. They don't know any better. You have an open enrollment and you're going to have everything from soups and nuts in there. And that these are kids going to be kids that are going to say that they're saved and they're going to be tearing down everything that you believe. Now, mm-hmm. if you are the liberal of liberals, well then sure have an open enrollment school because you can't, because there's no standards you're trying to, to hold. But if you are a conservative and you're trying to hold up standards, open enrollment schools can be the death of them. Okay. So one of the things that has greatly helped our youth group has been our closed enrollment school and our homeschool umbrella, realizing that that's the other thing. Here's another principle. We, we don't want homeschoolers and Christian schoolers to be at war. We don't, we try to mainstream homeschoolers into our program as much as possible. We invite them into classes if they want to sign up for a class. Oh, you don't feel comfortable teaching that? Why don't you have them learn this in our school? You could come in with them as opposed to going outside to someone we don't know and maybe as a kind of a shady kind of homeschool group that maybe it would not be with a lot of liberals in there that's no different than an open enrollment school. Mm-hmm. We'd rather have you with us. Why don't you come in, why don't you bring them in for gym class, if nothing else? And let's, uh, let's, let's see what we can do to help you. We don't necessarily try to get homeschoolers to stop homeschooling. Um, and so I think in general, 
Home scores look at us as an ally. They they walk the the aisle in our graduation ceremonies just like the rest of the kids who were in the school the full time. And we try that um, we try like one culture is one of the things we say. We want one sure. culture here. We don't want one culture for the school and another culture for homeschoolers. Awesome. Well, I, I feel like we could, um, and maybe next time I, at camp coming up here in July, I'll just start listing off principles that I have heard. And so just to make sure by the, I, I like, uh, you know, collecting baseball cards, I'll just make sure I get all of them at some point in, in you know, in these next few years. I'll make a set of baseball cards with a principal one and we'll hey, hand them out. There so. you go. There you go. That, that would fit right in. And uh, that would be great. Well, Ron, I greatly appreciate you taking the time. Seriously. Um, yeah. the, the amount of... Uh, obviously the, the amount of principles that I've heard and, and that have, I think helped me and will help me in the future. And, you know, maybe not in the position to implement them yet. Um, but so many things I greatly appreciate it. I appreciate the work that you've put into um, making the work of God first class. It doesn't have to be a bore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say this for those of you that are, and I'm, I'm sure you have a principal. I'll let you get to that in just a second. But um, the, uh, I will say this. I've, I've never, we've never had, I've only been, three years two years at common ground but there hasn't been a single game that i haven't thought because normally youth group junior camp teen group games they're stupid they're boring and i have <laughs> I, I haven't seen one yet and that's that's saying something because we're talking dozens of games that you have put um so things did you have something on that uh i think i think you should do everything for the Lord as best as you can. That doesn't mean you always have to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll give you, I'll give you an idea like of that with, um, you, you got to balance some wisdom here. We'll talk about the food. Mm-hmm. So we, and, and would save us some money. Just open up number 10 cans and, and that's it. But there's no need to do that. I mean, now obviously you can't afford steak. There are some food that people would like that are ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You could, the the cost difference is amazing. Too amazing in a bad way, Mm -hmm. but you can put out good with a little bit of effort. You can put out really good food for just a little bit more. So it costs you a little bit of money, but you, it's so much better. I mean, it's night and day better. And, and so I always feel like, you should do the best you can do in whatever it is. And so whatever thing you're thinking about games or whatever else, I'm not saying you've got to do steak, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is a cost to that. There are games that we don't do at camp simply because it would cost a fortune. Right. But, but that doesn't mean you have to do steak. You can still have something really good if you spend a little extra and then you can just have something really great as opposed to, uh, we'll save a little bit of money in scamp. And so, I, yeah, that's kind of, that is a principle that I, I live by, which is let's do the best we can for the Lord. Absolutely. And I, Even I, for the yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I appreciate that. Well, Brother Crone, we've surpassed about an hour or so. And uh, I, I know your time is valuable. And so I appreciate, it, especially time at home, uh, which looks okay. like you have now. And so if you'd stick around for just a moment, we're going to sign off here. Uh, okay. Had Pastor Jim Crone for uh, Mike McCurry Live number nine. Greatly appreciate his time. You need to check him out at myground.org. If you live within 16 hours of the Common Ground Baptist Camp, you should probably drive and bring your teens or juniors. You'll have a great
great time and that'll be fun um, he's a buffalo bills fan we won't hold that against him and uh um, a lot of other things we, if you missed it jump back in and record and rewind and see what you missed but greatly appreciate it Take a moment and visit MichaelMcCurry.com. You can find the calendar of upcoming interviewees, links to my social media blog, different things like that. Take a moment, visit MichaelMcCurry.com. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms, concerns, you can find my email address. Let me know. Would love to hear from you. DM me on Instagram or Facebook. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one.